The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2022 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycindy.com. Uh, my name is Matt Casey. I serve as the regional director for Campus Arts Indianapolis. So welcome to my city. Had a great uh, first couple or first day here at the conference. Um, I have my notes here because my wife Brittany said you really need to write things down and say them correctly. Sometimes you say them incorrectly. So I've written down my introduction to Pastor Jim. So if you, if you see me reading my notes, it's because I'm listening to good feedback from Brittany. Uh, but I've been working with colleges for the last 16 years. Uh, with, with CEO in all kinds of different capacities. And uh, so I really value this seminar as something we put at the main conference. Uh, prior, by the way, you're prioritizing the church while you're in college. Um, and so why might we have a seminar like this? Maybe it's a question. Why do we have a seminar uh, like this at the New Year's conference? Uh, the first one is our time with you is so short. Um, if you're a Christian, we get to be with you for one, two, three, maybe four years. You've got some victory laps, five or six years in college. But that's not long compared to 50, 60, 70 years past here. Our time with you is so short. So we'd be so short-sighted uh, to not address where you'll spend the majority of your Christian life, uh, not with your campus ministry you're involved with in college, but with the church uh, that God has blessed us with, uh, his bride. So we don't want to be short-sighted. We want to see a long view of your life. And that's why we have a seminar where we're talking about prioritizing the church. You'll also wonder, just like the staff at my school talk about church a lot, and where do I go, and why do you go there? And it's because we really do care about this. And it's one of those things that most college students don't give much thought to about where they go to church. Um, the second one is we want to give you, we want to encourage you to give thoughtful consideration to where you go to church. Uh, so what I've found over the years is a lot of people just kind of go where people go. And so there's a herd of college students that go to this church over here. There's a herd of college students that go over here. Not much consideration to why I'm going there or what's being taught there, but more just it seems like the masses go there. So we want to encourage you to actually step back and ask questions. Where am I going and why am I going? And if you find that the staff around you kind of ask those questions too, it's because they care about the same things too. Um, so we want to give you thought. We want to have thoughtful consideration to where you go to church. Uh, and maybe we want to kind of step out some, somewhere else and prioritize uh, asking meaningful questions about where and why I do go to church. So, have you ever gone to a church's website and not just looked for the start time or parking time, but actually what they might believe? Or, this is crazy, it's actually in notes, in Jim's notes, and we did not report down this. Have you ever thought about meeting with a pastor at the church that you go to asking, what do you believe and what do you teach and what's your priority for me and where do you want me to go and why should I be here? That's pretty no a pretty novel concept for a college student. So, three reasons why we're giving a seminar like this. We get a such short window of time with you. We want you to think about where you go to church and why you go to church and prioritize that in your time of college. Um, so I want to introduce our speaker for this seminar, Pastor Jim Gregory. He is my pastor and he's the pastor of Life Point Church in the south side of Indianapolis uh, in the Southport Greenwood area. It's our hub church. Um, and so uh, his testimony, one, I think Jim has a very relatable testimony, maybe your experiences, um, did not come from this kind of squeaky clean background, um, came to Christ around the same season that many of you do. Um, and then also his experience in college with the campus ministry as well. Uh, but he has also seen lots of young people uh, in his life in pastoral ministry in the last 10 years. Uh, he's got a good eye and good wisdom to apply uh, to some of the things you're thinking about people in college. So um, I'll stop talking and hand the mic to Jim. But everybody, welcome back, Pastor Jim Gary. Hi, everybody. Thanks for being here. I'm going to try to make this as practical as I can. I do want to talk just a little bit about what the church is about. That's uh, 
told you a little bit about myself. I'm, I've been pastoring um, down on the south side of Indianapolis for the last 14 years. Pastoral ministry before that in central Illinois and then on the mission field in Spain and Costa Rica prior to that. So I'm older than you. I've been around a little bit more than the vast majority of you in here. And I've um, uh, been a follower of Christ uh, since about uh, just before my college years. I grew up Roman Catholic. How many here Roman Catholics or grew up Roman Catholic? So... Um, so I went to church every single Sunday, um, regardless of how I felt, generally speaking, unless I was, you know, at, at death's door. We were in Mass every single Sunday. So I grew up in church, but I didn't grow up knowing Christ. Uh, that didn't happen until my late teen years. Um, and honestly, when I went off to college, to undergrad, um, uh, the last thing I was thinking about was church. Uh, I was thinking about all kinds of other things. Um, and when I, when I arrived there, my thinking when it came to church was kind of like, well, I don't have to go to church anymore, right? Because my parents aren't there to tell me, get up and go to church. Um, but, but soon after that, I uh, got in, involved uh, with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, um, uh, started getting plugged in, and started going to a church and found out all of a sudden, well, here I am going to a church now because I want to go to a church. And the reality is the church that I got plugged into, uh, Matt just now said, sometimes you just kind of go where the herd goes, <clears throat> but there wasn't a whole lot of herding, you know, where I was at. A lot of people weren't going to church. So uh, I got connected uh, really to, with a church because the pastor came and spoke at one of our, our conferences or one of our meetings, and uh, I liked what he had to say. So I followed him to his church and, uh, and uh, got to know him a little bit. In fact, it's... it's uh, well, it's not ironic. It's ironic, I suppose, in a sad way, but he just passed away two weeks ago. But this guy had an incredible influence on my life uh, for almost four years. Uh, then I went to grad school at the same place, ended up being involved there in, in, some, uh, in some ways as well. So, so the church had a, had a significant influence in my life, even in the college years, when, when the reality is when I went to college, I would have never in my wildest dreams thought, the church, the local church, is going to have some sort of an impact on my life. Uh, that was not that was not what I was thinking. So, here's what I want to talk about uh, today, just in these uh, uh, 35 minutes or so that we've got we've got here together. And I'm going to move pretty quickly. <clears throat> I've got some handouts up here. I had no idea what to anticipate here in terms of uh, amount of people, so I don't have. I've got 50 handouts. I don't know how many people are in here. If you're interested in them, come up afterwards and grab one. Um, and uh, uh, hopefully there'll be enough for those people who are interested in it. If you're like me and you're not really a note person anyway, or you may jot down a couple of notes. Uh, if you just jot down a couple of notes today from what I have to say, because the reality is you're going to a lot of different of these breakouts and you're going to go play basketball or do other things tonight. Uh, sorry, that was a guy thing to say. There's, there's going to be other things to do tonight as well. But um, um, you're not going to be thinking much about what I had to say today. Um, but if you're going to write down just a couple of things, or there are going to be a couple of things that are just going to stand out, I'm going to walk through how you can get plugged into a local church. And that's where I'd like you to tune in, I suppose, the most. I hope you listen to all of it. But if you're going to write some things down, that's where I'm going to try to be as practical as I can be. How do you get plugged in uh, to, to a local church? And, and uh, I recognize the reality is that some of you may not even be believers right now. You may be where I was. Uh, when I was your age, thinking, hey, I don't, that's, that's the last thing that I need. Um, so, you know, again, my hope and my prayer is that there might be one, one or two things that would just kind of uh, pique your interest in terms of, uh, hey, if, if this whole Christianity thing actually turns out to be real um, and I start hanging out with other believers, what does that look like? Where do I go? What kind of stuff should I be looking for, right, in a, in a local church? So 
First, I want to just talk about what the church is, okay? Most of this I'm just going to ground in the scriptures. <clears throat> what is the church? So let me just read you uh, three passages. The Bible has a lot to say about the church. Uh, the New Testament has a lot to say about the church. The Old Testament has a lot to say about the community of God, right? The people of God coming together, gathering. Uh, it wasn't a church, but it was absolutely a community. Uh, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that among the people of Israel, being a part of a community was massive. It was huge for them. Um, and out of that kind of community grows this concept of, of, of the church. Now, the church is different in many different ways. We don't have time to go into all those kind of things. But the church is in many ways a community. It's a gathering. It's a community of people who uh, have a similar focus in mind that are there uh, for multiple different reasons. And the Bible tells us there, there are multiple different reasons why we might attend a local, a local church. So I'm not going to be exhaustive here by any stretch of the imagination, but three things that I think will help us understand what the church is from God's perspective, all right? from the perspective of, of the one who, who created the church, placed his own son, Jesus, as the head of the church. What's his perspective? So from uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, it says, God placed all things under his feet. In context here, he's talking about Jesus. God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So according to Paul in his letter to the Ephesians, the church is the body of Jesus Christ. And there's multiple different places in the New Testament where uh, this, the, the Bible calls the church, the gathered people of God. And here we're talking about not necessarily the local church, but all those people, uh, what we call the communion of saints, all those people who are in Christ, um, who gather together, they constitute the body of Christ. He is the head of and they constitute, or we constitute, the body of Christ. Obviously, this is metaphorical type of language, but this is how the scriptures invite us to think about the local church or the church in general. And it is also the fullness of him who, by his very nature, fills everything in every way. So part of what the church does is it's part of that filling, filling property within this world uh, that is utilized by God through Christ, in order to fill all things in every way. We don't, we're not the ones who fill all things in every way, right? but we're part of that. We're part of that capacity of, of that which fills um, this universe, as it were. Um, and again, some of this language, if you're newer to the Bible, it's going to sound strange to you. But the same Apostle Paul who wrote to the Ephesians also talks in Ephesians 1 about the things that are taking place in the heavenly realms, uh, things that we cannot uh, see or perceive. Right on this side, on this side of heaven, there are things going on uh, in places that we cannot perceive. What Paul calls the heavenly realms, and in those heavenly realms, and in this physical world, Christ fills all things in every single way. Part of the way He does that is through the church. The church is important. It's the body of Jesus Christ in this world, and it is what part of that 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 thing that fills this universe uh, through Jesus Christ. So we are the body and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Number two, uh, from uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 3, again, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy here, he says, if I'm delayed, you will know how people 
ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So here Paul's writing to Timothy. He's left Timothy in Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. Uh, Timothy's a young man when he comes to know Christ. We don't know how old he is when he takes over, in essence, the pastoral leadership in the city of Ephesus. But Paul has left them, left him there, and he's now writing to Timothy. And he's saying, I want to come see you, but if I'm delayed, at least from what I've just now said to you, you're going to know how people ought to conduct themselves in the body of Christ, how they should conduct themselves in the church. And the church, by the way, is also the pillar and the foundation of truth in this world. And so how does this world... Right. Uh, if we're talking about worldviews. How do those who, who make this world their home, but who may not know Christ, right? How are they going to know the truth? Paul says they're going to know it through the church. Right? The church is going to be that entity by which the truth goes out into the world. In fact, he says it's the pillar. It's the foundation of truth in this world. And so when we, we have this concept that, you know, I'm a Christian or maybe I've come to know Christ, but I don't really need the church. The church is kind of uh, solid. It is uh, old-fashioned, uh, right? It's a lot of people who probably don't uh, uh, understand my way of, of life. And who wants to go hang out? And certainly who wants to go listen to some guy harp on and on on a Sunday morning, you know, or to sing some songs that may not resonate with me, you know, in, in, in my life right now. Um, when we look at it from God's perspective, we have to understand that that's not how God sees it. The church has a purpose, And that purpose, at least one of those, is to be the pillar and the foundation of truth in this world. The world needs to be able to see where truth is. Where is it? Where is it coming from? Paul says it's coming from the church. It's coming from that which God has established as his body in this world to be that very thing, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. And the third one here, again, from Paul's letter to Ephesus, chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. His intent was that now, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we think about that for just a moment, I know you don't have this right in front of you, so let me just kind of read that to you again. His intent, right, this is God's intent, was that now through the church, through the body of Christ, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth, it is the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way, Paul says. It is his intention now, God's intention, that through this church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in those heavenly realms, in those heavenly places, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. What is he saying there? We could spend a ton of time on this, but essentially what Paul is saying here to the church in Ephesus, is that God is using the church, as weak as it is at times, right, as silly as the church can be at times, in a general way, uh, manner of speaking. We hear of all kinds of silliness coming out of churches. We hear all kinds of uh, impropriety coming out of churches. We hear of all kinds of pastors who end up sleeping with, you know, somebody in the church and and blowing the church up and then coming back and saying, I'm, but you know, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I want to keep doing this ministry. I want to continue going on. We hear all kinds of improprieties coming out of the church. And yet what we need to know is the church is still the body of Christ, right? It is a weak 
institution in some ways, and yet it is a pillar and foundation of the truth. Just because you read about some of these things going on in some churches doesn't mean that God has abandoned the church and says this is, an, this is a passing institution and we need to move on and get a hold of something cooler, more, more, uh, uh, more hip and, 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 and really engaged. No, the church is that vehicle which God has used, even in this weakness. Just like you, if you're a follower of Christ today, is the vehicle by which God is going to make himself known to many other people. And if any of us in here would say, yeah, it's because I'm perfect and because I do everything right, well, then, you know, we're already, we're already uh, uh, heading down the wrong path. Right? He's using you in spite of your weaknesses. And he's doing that with the church as well. The manifold wisdom of God, and it's just interesting, we won't get into the original language here, but, but Paul is doing something interesting in the original language here, in the original Greek. And this isn't just the wisdom of God, it's the manifold wisdom of God. It's the best translation we have of that into the English, and English and manifold just simply means all-encompassing, right? All the wisdom of God is made manifest to this world through the church, through the community of God's people um, who he is utilizing as the body of Christ and the fullness in, in this world. So the church is important, I guess, is what I want to say as we come out of the gate here. What is the church? It's the body of Christ and the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What is the church? It's the pillar and the foundation of the truth in this world. What is the church? It is the manifold wisdom of God. It is what God is laying forth before this world and in front of all the heavenly beings as well. Here we're talking about angels and demons and all, all, the heaven, all that's taking place in the heavenly realm that we cannot see. God is laying forth a church and saying, this is why I did this. Right? Here's my wisdom laid out for you. This is, the end result comes through this, through the community of believers. And here again, we're not just talking about a local church. We're talking about what we call the communion of saints, which is all believers throughout all time. We've constituted this thing that God says to the heavenly realms, this is why I did this, right? Here's where you'll see the wisdom of why I did what I did, right? This is why Christ came. This is why Christ died. This is why Christ rose again. This is why Christ has ascended to the right hand of the Father. This is why all of this makes sense. It's this. It's the church. It's the community of believers. It's those who have come together and gathered now in Christ's name. All the foibles, all the, the, the silliness, all the other things that can and does take place in local congregations, not just today, but back in Paul's day too. Listen, if you read the New Testament, you're going to see that part of the reason why most of the New Testament was written is why. Anybody want to venture a guess? Most of the letters of the New Testament are addressing what? Problems in the church. Problems in the church, right? The church in the first century was screwed up. And the church in the 21st century is screwed up. Because it's got a lot of human beings involved in it. It doesn't negate the reality that it is God's church. He's utilizing weak human beings to accomplish what it is that he chooses to accomplish. So the church is vital. It is necessary and God has made that, I think, abundantly clear to us in the Scripture. So why is the church important? Why is it important? Let me just again, I'm going to walk through some text here for you. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Paul says this to Timothy, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. 
This is what's supposed to be happening in the local church. Paul's writing to Timothy. Again, Timothy's in Ephesus. Timothy is, for lack of a better definition, some sort of a lead pastor role within the church, designated by Paul, who's an apostle of Christ, to lead the church there. And he's saying, here's what I want you to do there. I want you to preach the word. I want you to preach the truth to these people. That's your goal. Now he's going to go on to say, I want you also to endure hardship. I want you to work out all the, the duties of the office that I've given to you. Those duties are, are uh, significant uh, across the board. It's not just preaching. It includes all kinds of other things for pastors. But the primary thing is I want you to preach the word. Then while you're preaching the word, you need to endure hardship because that's just going to come along, right? Because he says there's going to come a time when people are going to, going to put aside sound teaching. They're just going to bring in people to say, say what my ear wants to hear. Keep telling me what my ear wants to hear. Keep telling me that what I want to be, that's what God wants me to be, right? No matter what that is. Even if it doesn't jive with what the scriptures teach us, what God's revelation teaches us, it's what I want to be. So just keep telling me that I need to be the best I can be because that's all God wants for me. It's for me to be the best that I can be. Paul says, this is what the church is going to be like. What the church needs, he says, is people who preach the word. And so he tells Timothy, go preach that word. The church is important because that's where we go to find truth. And that truth sometimes doesn't jive with what we think about ourselves, right? It doesn't jive with what we were hoping to hear. But it is still true. If it's, if it's coming from the scriptures, if, it's, if, it's, if someone is truly preaching the word of God, then it's going to be that kind of stuff that it edifies us, it builds us up. It, it may tear us down first, but the goal is that it's eventually going to build us up. Help us to be the men and women that God has called us to be as followers of Christ. So why is the church important? Because this is where we go to hear the word of God preached. Secondly, on arriving there from Acts chapter 14, on arriving there, this is Paul and uh, some of his traveling companions, particularly Barnabas, if you're familiar with some of the New Testament, particularly the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas set apart in the city of Antioch to be the first missionaries. They go out on the missionary journey. We call it Paul's first missionary journey. They are now coming back after their first missionary journey here in Acts 14. It says, on arriving, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. What's the first thing they do when they come back to the local church that sent them out? They gathered the church together and said, here's what God is doing. It's the gathering of God's people. They come back. This is the mission you sent us out with. This is what we've accomplished, and this is where we're, uh, where we're heading now. This is what God is doing out there in the Roman world, in the Gentile world. So what's the first thing they do? They get the church together, right? They gather the believers together and tell them, this is what God is doing in the world. Same thing in Acts chapter 15. If you're familiar with the story, Paul and Barnabas have gone out. They're preaching the gospel to people. But here's the problem. There's Gentiles out there, right? Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew. And the Jews, they're also out there too. Paul and Barnabas, where they're going into new cities, where are they going first? Anybody know? They walk into a new city. They want to preach the gospel. Where's the first place they go? They go to a synagogue. A synagogue is where the Jewish people are gathering together, practicing Judaism. Why? Paul and Barnabas are Jews. They speak the language. They know the culture. So they go to their own people, and they begin to preach the gospel. In most of those cities, some of those Jews believe, many do not. They eventually go out then, and they take the gospel out into the larger city. 
And so as they've been doing that, there have been some Jews coming behind them and saying, listen, what Paul and Barnabas have to say is pretty good. Here's the problem. They're telling you you don't have to be a Jew, but you do. You Gentiles, if you're men, you need to be circumcised, right? And if you, you, you women, you need to follow all the, the um, dietary restrictions and all these things. You need to be a Jew first. You can't just waltz into the church. You need to become a Jew first. Demonstrate your sincerity about what you believe about Jesus. Become a Jew. Practice all the, 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 uh, the teachings of Judaism. And then, yes, you can be a follower of Christ. Well, this confuses people, right? So Paul and, and, and Barnabas, they come back to Jerusalem. And they're, they're, boy, somebody has a lot more exciting thing going on in there. Paul and Barnabas come back to Jerusalem. And they go to the leaders, the, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem. One of them is James, uh, the brother or the half-brother of Jesus. Peter, the apostle Peter, is there too. The other apostles, they must be out doing other things. They're not, they're not mentioned there. They come back to Jerusalem. What do they do? Well, the, the scriptures tell us in Acts 15. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered this letter. What letter did they deliver? They delivered a letter that came out of this first church council. You can read about that in Acts chapter 15. They come back to Jerusalem. They say, here's the gospel we've been presenting. We've been presenting a gospel that says you don't have to become a Jew first. We've been presenting the gospel that says we come to Christ through faith, Jew and Gentile alike, and then God makes us one people when we respond in faith to Jesus Christ. That's what we're preaching. Well, the council gets together, right? These apostles, these elders in Jerusalem, they discuss this. Peter comes up and says, hey, something amazing happened in the house of Cornelius. You can read about that in Acts chapter 10 if you don't know that story, where these Gentiles came to know Jesus when I was preaching the gospel. And Peter says, hey, I think Paul's right. I'm, I'm uh, bringing this all together, right? This is, I mean, these are not direct quotations. He says, I, I, I think Paul and Barnabas, they got this right. And we should know that, and I know that, because I'm a Jew, and I saw Gentiles come to faith in Christ, and they didn't go through any of the Jewish uh, um, uh, ceremonial system or anything else. They just came to know Christ, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. So upon this testimony, the early church writes a letter, and they say, here's what, here's what we believe. We believe you don't have to become a Jew first. Right? We think there's some good things you should do. You should abstain from some things that are going to make just... It really uh, hard for Jews and Gentiles to get along early on. So you should abstain from some of these things. But in terms of coming to know Christ, you come to know Christ through faith. You don't need to worry about becoming a Jew. Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch, right, north of Jerusalem. And what do they do? They gather the church together and they deliver the letter. And they say, this is exactly what we're going to be doing now, right? We're going to be preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says you don't have to become a Jew first. Some of that is supplemental information, so you just know the background. But the, the, the main idea is, what are Paul and Barnabas doing when they're, when they're being sent out, when they're coming back, when they're getting additional information? They are gathering God's people together, right? Those people who have come to know faith are now part of the church, Jew and Gentile alike. And they're coming into the city and they say, hey, get the word out, get everybody together. We got information to share and we're going to start first with God's people. We're going to start first with the church of Jesus Christ. The church is important because it is, it is by definition, the gathering of God's people. Are there some people in almost every church who don't know Jesus? Absolutely there are. Absolutely there are. 
Sometimes we know that, and sometimes we don't, right? When I preach on a Sunday morning and I look out across a, a congregation, I don't, as a pastor, get red arrows and yellow arrows and green arrows, right? Greens are followers of Christ, yellows are seekers, and, you know, uh, what was the other one I said? Red, those guys are done, they don't care, and they're never going to know Jesus. So I can just concentrate on the green arrows. I have no idea, right? I have no idea. I've seen in my years of ministry, both in missions, in college ministry, uh, in pastoral ministry, people who I would, have, I would have bet every dollar I had on the fact that they know Jesus. And a few years later, they're just gone. They're gone. And I, I didn't see it coming. I don't know, right? We still gather the church together because it is the people of God. And that's exactly what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Paul's an apostle of Jesus, Right? He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. Uh, he's been given a, a gospel that came, he says in Galatians, through revelation from Jesus. And what does Paul do when he needs to get additional information or to get clarity on something? He goes back to the church. He goes back to leaders in the church and says, what do you all think about this? What are we going to do here? Right? He doesn't say, I'm an apostle of Jesus. Jesus gave me a revelation. You, elders, everybody else, the whole church, you submit to me. I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. That is not what Paul does. It's not what Peter does. They submit themselves to the leaders of the local church or to the gathering of God's people in order to pass on information and to get clarity on things. So uh, why is the church important? Because it's where we go to hear the word of God. It's because we're the people of God gathered. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred and you, he says, are that temple. Five times he uses the term temple there. It's a Jewish term, right, where the people have gathered because that's where God was, right, in the temple. And he's saying to them, don't you know that you are the temple, right? When I was growing up uh, 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 in the church, I was taught what this meant was that if you kill yourself, you're going directly to hell because you're God's temple. And if you kill yourself, you destroy God's temple, then God will destroy you. He'll send you to hell. That was what my understanding of this text was. This text has nothing to do with that, right? It's not talking to individuals here. Later, Paul will say that we individually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. Here, he's clearly talking to the church, to the church in Corinth. And he's saying to them collectively, it's a plural here that he's using. So it's very, very clear in the original language. You, the church, are the temple of God and that God lives in you. Or in other words, if anybody's goal is just simply to destroy the church or to destroy the local manifestation of the church, God will destroy them. This is how serious God takes the local church, friends. If we have people whose only goal is to destroy the church, then they need to know that God is against them in this. Because God loves the church. He loves his people, right? Warts and all, problems and all, issues and all. He loves the church because the church is the body of his own son who came and died for these people who are now gathered together. Many of you constitute that. The church, right? You may not come to my church or the church that I attend, but we're still part of the church. And God loves the church. And so Paul warns these dissenters who are coming in. Their only goal is just to des destroy the church. He says, don't you understand? This is the temple of God. You destroy the temple of God and God will destroy you. Um, you know, in modern parlance, it would be don't mess with God's church. Don't mess with the body of Christ because God cares about 
the body of Christ. It's that important to him. And then two others to just describe why the church is important, and that is the two sacraments that I think that take place within the, the church or the body of Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, talking to the church there in Corinth, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Collectively, when you come together for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, you're proclaiming something to people, right? To each other as followers of Christ and to non-believers who may be in your assembly, you are proclaiming to them Christ's death until he comes back again. This is one of the primary ways, friends, that we as a church symbolically proclaim the death of Jesus Christ. We come together on a regular basis and we share in a sacrament together. And in that sacrament, an important uh, sacrament, we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ to all those who are watching. That happens within the body of Christ. I'm not saying you can't take uh, communion uh, together in a small group. I will say this, and you may disagree with me on that, and that's okay. I don't think that's the best place to take communion. I think communion is meant for the local body of Christ, the gathered people, the gathered church, right? I don't think it's done well around a campfire with Skittles and Coke. I don't think that's a great idea at all. I think it is a very important sacrament. We don't have time to get into this, but Paul does address the church in Corinth because they were trivializing it and saying, listen, this is why some of you are dying, right? You're trivializing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And therefore, some of you are really sick and some of you are dying. You just need to know that's why that's going on in, in the body of Christ there in Corinth. So uh, this is an important thing uh, uh, for God. We share in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together within the body of Christ, and we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ when we do that. And then Matthew 28, most of you who have been believers for a long time or for some time, you know this one. Go and make disciples of all nations and then do what, he says. Baptize them, how? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you till the very end of the age, he says, right? You keep doing this. You keep going. Now, the emphasis there in that text is to go. It's not so much to baptize. It's to go. Go out there and do something. Make disciples. And when you've made disciples, now you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, okay? This is another thing that constitutes part of the reason why the local church uh, exists, so that we can go about doing that task, right? Going, making, and baptizing people. Knowing that God is with us until the very end of the age, he's going to be working through the church to bring about more disciples. And then we're going to see those people come into the community of the faith through baptism, through this, this rite of passage, as it were, into the local church or into the body of Jesus Christ. This takes place within the church, friends. These two sacraments take place within the church. That doesn't mean it has to be in the walls of a local church, but it takes place under the auspices of the body of Christ, right? It is the gospel lived out, these sacraments, right? We do something when we take communion together. We're acting things out. It's tactile, right? You see it. You taste it. You smell it. You, 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 you have the people around you. You're, you're experiencing this unity together, and I believe the unity with Christ in a unique way as well. Don't have time to go into all that either. But this is, this is important, that this acted out gospel is taking place within the auspices of the church of Jesus Christ. So the church is important because these very important things are taking place within the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? 337. I've got till 345, right? Got it. Okay, cool. So what the church 
can do that individuals cannot. I'm going to pick up pace here, all right? So hang in there with me. What can the church do that individuals either cannot do or it's difficult maybe for individuals to do? The church can send people. Can an individual send person people? I suppose so. If they're um, independently wealthy and they decide they're going to send people out and, and pay for all their expenses and do that kind of stuff, I suppose they can do that. Do they have the authority of the church? I don't know. I guess that's questionable. Depends on what their relationship is with the local church. But churches, by and large, are the ones that send people out, right? Who, who, who say, this person, this man, this woman, they are prepared, they are equipped, and they're going out uh, under our banner, so to speak, to go out and take the gospel either locally to the college campuses or to the nations, whatever that might be. That is primarily the task of the local church. It's not an individual task, right? Paul could have just said, hey, man, Jesus met me. He revealed the gospel to me over a three-year period somewhere out in the Arabian desert. I know this stuff. I'm just going to go. That's not what he does. He goes to Antioch, and there they submit to some elders, and eventually the Holy Spirit says to the elders, hey, I want you to set apart Paul and Barnabas for me for a task I have. And so what do Barnabas and Barnabas, those two guys, what do they do? They get together, hands are laid on them, they pray, out they go. What do they do when they come back? Right back to Antioch, this is what God's doing. This is what you sent us out to do, this is what God's accomplishing. So that's primary a church sending activity, not an individual sending activity. The church can pool resources, right? We can collect our resources and be a, 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 a body that can do so much more than what the vast majority of individuals can do, right? Uh, Elon Musk uh, is, is, is an outlier, right? Local churches, a gathering together of people and pooling resources can do far more than what the vast majority of individuals can do when it comes to all these gospel tasks, okay? The church can discipline, right? The church should discipline, most churches don't discipline anymore, right? Because they're afraid to do that. But churches should discipline, and it's only the church that really can do that within the body of Christ, right? Parents do it and can do it, all those kind of things notwithstanding. When it comes to disciplining people within the congregation, that is the role of the church, the leadership of the local church. That's not an individual just saying, hey, so-and-so you know, uh, owes me 80 bucks and they won't pay up, and so I've condemned them to hell. I just want you all to know that. Okay, that's not our that's not our, our goal. Right? This is something that the local church does. The church can affirm or deny doctrines. It's the church who says this is this is real, and this ain't real. Okay, this is what Paul and Barnabas come back for. Right? What are we doing here? Are we running the race in vain? Paul says, "Am I fine? Am I been preaching a gospel that's in vain?" And I'm gonna find myself disqualified in the end. And it's the local church in Jerusalem who says, "No." Actually, we affirm what you're doing, right? We've heard it, we've prayed about it, and now we're saying this is what God is wanting uh, for you to do. So the church can affirm or deny doctrines. The church can appoint leaders. The church can test leaders to determine whether those leaders are actually genuine or not. They're not perfect at this, but they can do that in ways that individuals just really can't do. And the church can provide opportunities for us to submit to authority. If you're your own authority, you don't need to submit to anybody. But if you're part of a local church, you need to learn to submit to the local authorities, right? And if those local authorities are not doing it biblically, you need to find some place where they're doing it biblically so that you can submit to them, right? Don't have time to flesh all this out. Multiple biblical texts tell us this, right? This is not a heavy-handed submission, right? This is not leaders saying, hey, I'm a pastor, so whatever I say goes, right? That's a cult, and cults do that kind of stuff. Local churches that are under the authority of Christ don't do that kind of silly stuff, okay? 
they understand that they're also men under authority as well, okay? So the church can provide opportunities to submit to those who are in authority, all right? Hang in there with me. Five more minutes. I want to get down to some practical things. How do you choose a local church, all right? How do you choose a church? Maybe you're brand new to the faith and you're trying to figure this out. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you just didn't think you needed the church. Um, How do you choose? Or you're in a new city, whatever the case might be. Number one, is the gospel preached there faithfully? Not do you agree with every single thing the pastor or whatever the leaders say, you agree with them every single step of the way, but is the gospel preached there faithfully? If it is, this may be a church for you, right? They're preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully. Number two, are the ordinances and sacraments practiced regularly? Okay, and I'll leave it to you to read the scriptures and determine for yourself what's regularly. Some of you go to churches where they practice uh, the Lord's Supper every single week. That's wonderful. Some every other week. That's great, in my opinion. Some once a month, some once a quarter. At some point, I'm at the point in my own life where I'd say, eh, it gets to a point when you start talking once a quarter or once a year. I don't think that's enough. But hey, there's nothing in the scriptures that say it has to be done this many times a year. But is it regular enough for you to be engaged in the ordinances or the sacraments that Christ has given us? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Some people would add to that. Some churches, foot washing. If you're into that, go for that, right? Um, but but I, I think the two that are clear in Scripture are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Can you regularly engage with God's people in the sacraments that Christ has given us? In fact, commanded us to do, right? As often as you gather together... The scriptures say, do this, right? Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples and baptize them. Two ordinances or sacraments that Christ gave us and commanded us to do. Can you do that on a regular basis in this, in this church? Can you worship there in good conscience, right? Can you do it in good conscience? Or is this a church full of a lot of weird people doing a lot of weird things and you're wondering what in the world is going on, okay? Can you in good conscience bring a friend there and say, listen, you may not agree with everything here, but this is where we're going to hear the gospel. Check this one out. Can you do this in good conscience? And again, don't have time to go on this, but read Romans 14 where Paul says, listen, we, we need to be far more generous and gracious with one another when it comes to secondary and, and tertiary matters. Okay? Let the primary things be primary. Let's let secondary things be secondary. You may be worshiping with somebody who thinks Jesus is going to come back in the pre-tribulation rapture, and you may not believe that that's how it's going to work. Okay? And one of you is wrong, or both of you are wrong. Okay? We have to understand that we're not going to agree on every single thing in the body of Christ. Okay? We need to be gracious, but can you do that in good conscience where you are looking to worship? And number four, are you able to engage there with your gifts? Will your faith be challenged and can you be equipped there, right? Are you being challenged? Are they equipping you? Are they preparing you for ministry? Whatever that ministry is going to be. I'm not talking about it has to be formal. Are you being prepared to grow up in your faith in Jesus Christ? Read Ephesians chapter 4 where Paul says this is what God has given. He's given us apostles and he's given us prophets and he's given us uh, evangelists and he's given us pastors and teachers. And they're there to equip the body of Christ. Is that taking place? Are you being equipped? Are you being challenged? 
right? If those things are taking place, gospel preached, ordinances practiced, can you worship there in good conscience and are you able to engage there with your gifts and will your faith be challenged? Can you be equipped there? I think these are four primary things you can say, listen, if these things are good, I may not agree with everything, but this is a place I can be. Maybe not forever, but a place that I can be, I can plug in and learn. Finally, this, plugging in. You found the church? This is where you think God wants you to be and you, where you feel comfortable being. Now, what do you do? How do you get plugged in? Number one, observe for a while. Look at what's going on. What are people doing? What are the activities in the church? How are people engaging? These people seem genuinely concerned about the gospel. Are they just showing up because the band is great? Okay. Bands can be great all over the place, right? I pay to go see bands sometimes. I like that. But if you're just going to a church because the lights are cool and the smoke is hip and the, and the band is loud, I'm not telling you you can't be there. I'm just saying, think about, think about this, all right? Think about this. Is this the kind of place that people are genuinely engaged in the gospel? They may be doing that and listening to a really cool band at the same time. That may be happening, okay? But think about it. Observe what's going on in this local Congregation Number one, step out of your comfort zone and start introducing yourself to people, right? I'm Jim, new to the church. Can you tell me about yourself? Are you, what are you involved in here? How long have you been here, right? Can I, is there somebody I can uh, talk to at a front desk area or something that will tell me about the groups that may take me out to lunch or do something to tell me a little bit more about what's going on around here? Observe, and then if it looks like this is the place I want to be, then get out there, step out of your comfort zone, and introduce yourself, okay? If it's a small church of 50 people, they're going to introduce themselves to you, okay? If it's a church of 1,000 people, you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone in most, in most cases, right? You're going to have to start introducing yourself. Number three, ask questions. Don't be afraid to ask questions. If a church doesn't want to answer questions, find another church, all right? Ask questions. Ask real questions about what's going on within the church. Number four, make an appointment with a pastor or elder or leader, right? You want to become a member of this congregation. That's a big deal. If they can't provide a pastor or elder or leader to sit down with you and answer your questions, find another church that will provide somebody to do that, right? Go up and ask. You may ask the lead pastor who's preached that Sunday. He may say, look, I'm sorry. I'm absolutely booked for the next two weeks, but I will find somebody for you to talk to or to simply say, well, who else could I talk to? right? Ask those questions. Meet with somebody who's in leadership and say, here's my questions about the church. Could I fit in here? Is this the place for me? Take advantage of good learning opportunities that most churches provide. If you can have the time in your life, busy lives, I get that. But if you can make the time, take advantage of those learning opportunities. Look for ways to serve in the church. The best way to get to know people is to serve in the church, okay? Look for ways. Can you park cars? Can you work in the children's department? Can you do other things? A lot of churches, LifePoint, you don't just get to drop in and say, hey, I want to be a Sunday school leader or I want to go hang out with your kids. All right. We got to get to know you first. But there's ways to start engaging, looking for ways to serve. And then finally, this go through the membership process, even if you're only going to be around for a year. Become a member. Uh, Sign a covenant, covenant with the church, covenant with their leaders. Okay. Be engaged, be involved in the local church, all right? 
Have a voice about what's going on there and listen and engage in every way that you can possibly do that. Here's some resources for you. Again, I've got some notes up here for you that, uh, that will help if you're interested in, in some of this stuff. Rediscover Church, Colin Hansen, Jonathan Lehman. I think a really good short book on the local church. Why We Love the Church and Praise of Institutions and Organized Religion, Kevin DeYoung and Ted Kluck. Excellent book. It's a little bit old, but it's a good church. The Church, Contours of Christian Theology by Edmund Clowney. If you want to read some deep theology about the church, that's one for you. And The Church of Christ by James Bannerman. Uh, that's an oldie but goldie. It's also one that you probably need to put your thinking cap on to actually plug through that one. Okay, First two, I think, would be very, very accessible, even in your, in your college studies. All right? There you go. That's a fast flyby on why prioritize the church. Prioritize the church, brothers and sisters. Prioritize it. Get involved. Plug yourself in. Be a part of the body of Jesus Christ. All right? Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at co.nyc.com.